Welcome back to the Rights and Liberties Podcast, where we are discussing the Federalist Papers. Today, we will talk about Federalist 39. Often organized the discussion of the essay under examination with reference to three big ideas drawn from that essay. Here are three big ideas from Federalist 39. Big Idea 1. In Federalist 39, Madison offered a definition of Republican government. Big Idea 2. In Federalist 39, Madison asserted that the Constitution would create a Republican government. Big Idea 3. In Federalist 39, Madison denied that the Constitution would create a consolidated national government. So, thinking about Big Idea 1, we have encountered discussions of Republican government in other essays of the Federalist Papers. Now, questions about the Republican character of the government of the United States were very important in the late 18th century, as Madison explained early in Federalist 39. Quoting Madison here, quote, It is evident that no other form would be reconcilable with the genius of the people of America, with the fundamental principles of the revolution, or with that honorable determination which animates every votary of freedom to rest all our political experiments on the capacity of mankind for self-government. If the plan of the convention, therefore, be found to depart from the Republican character, its advocates must abandon it as no longer defensible." Of course, this leads to a claim that republicanism was seen to be important. This doesn't quite tell us what is meant by republican government. Madison observed, and had good grounds for so doing, that looking at how the term was used by different writers might be misleading. Holland, Venice, and Poland had each been described as republican governments, as had the country against which the Americans had just fought it a decade before. Quote, the government of England which has one Republican branch only, combined with an hereditary aristocracy and monarchy, has, with equal impropriety, been frequently placed on the list of republics. These examples, which are nearly as dissimilar to each other as to a genuine republic, show the extreme inaccuracy with which the term has been used in political disquisitions." So this shows the limitations of the uses of a term such as Republican government. But Madison believed that a definition based in principle, rather than examples, would yield greater understanding. Quote, If we resort for a criterion to the different principles on which different forms of government are established, we may define a republic to be, or at least may bestow, bestow that name on, a government which derives all its powers, directly or indirectly, from the great body of the people, and is administered by persons holding their offices during pleasure, for a limited period, or during good behavior. End quote. Here, the definition of republic is in part about where the power comes from and in part about the conditions under which it may be wielded. To take the second point first, different offices regulate tenure of officials in different ways, and the differentiation described by Madison can inform analysis today. Judges hold office contingent on good behavior, elected office holders have limited terms and have to run for re-election, and officials appointed by the executive serve at the pleasure of the executive. The other part of the definition refers to the popular basis of republicanism. Madison's claim was that the power of the government was derived from the great body of the people. Now, it is the case that modes of inequality in society, such as slavery, 
and the unequal status of women are not accounted for by Madison's claim. But the phrase does connote a popular basis theoretically, even if sometimes indirectly. And it is reasonable to observe that Madison was intentionally associating Republican government with an idea such as the great body of the people, rather than an ideal grounded in some smaller number of people. So, Big Idea 1 of Federalist 39 is Madison's definition of Republican government. Big Idea 2 looks at Madison's claim that the Constitution was Republican. This claim can rest on a pretty simple comparison of the Constitution with Madison's definition of Republican government. Members of the House would be directly elected under the government described by the Constitution for terms of two years. Members of the Senate, of course, were selected by the state legislatures for six-year terms for more than a century after the ratification of the Constitution. The selection of the president was also designed to be indirect, through the Electoral College, and the president would serve a four-year term. The selection of judges likewise fit within the scope of a Republican government, according to Madison. Quote, Even the judges, with all other officers of the Union, will, as in the several states, be the choice though a remote choice, of the people themselves. The duration of the appointments is equally conformable to the Republican standard and to the model of state constitutions, end quote. We often take time in these podcasts to point out the relevance of some element of the essay we are discussing to the politics of today and tomorrow. One issue that is often a matter of public debate today is the tenure of judges. The rule set down by the Constitution holds that judges, quote, both of the supreme and inferior courts, should hold their offices during good behavior, and shall, at stated times, receive for their services a compensation, which shall not be diminished during their continuance in office." End quote. This concerns federal judges. The rule for state judges today vary by state. Madison's stance on the question of the tenure of judges is direct and to the point, quote, the tenure by which the judges are to hold their places is as it unquestionably ought to be, that of good behavior, end quote. Big Idea 3 is focused on Madison's denial of a charge made by those opposed to the Constitution, that the Constitution, rather than merely being a power-sharing arrangement between the federal government and the states, would in fact consolidate power in a centralized national government. Madison pointed to several elements of the Constitution in order to dispute this charge. First, he argued that the ratification of the Constitution was itself accomplished by the states. Quote, Each state, in ratifying the Constitution, is considered as a sovereign body, independent of all others, and only to be bound by its own voluntary act. In this relation, then, the new Constitution will, if established, be a federal and not a national Constitution. End quote. After considering the ratification of the Constitution, he turned to the branches of government and sources of their powers under the Constitution. Here, Madison found some elements that he characterized as conforming to a national Constitution, such as the powers derived and wielded by the House of Representatives, and some conforming to a federal Constitution, such as those wielded by the Senate. So the legislature, on this account, had a blended character, federal and national. So, too, according to Madison, did the executive branch. Turning to the operations of the government, Madison drew upon a distinction made familiar elsewhere in the Federalist Papers, quoting Madison here, quote, The difference between a federal and national government, as it relates to the operation of the government, is supposed to consist in this, that in the former, the powers operate on the political bodies composing the Confederacy in their political capacities, 
and the latter on the individual citizens composing the nation in their individual capacities. This focus on the distinction between a government that governs states and a government that governs citizens was frequently used by the authors of the Federalist Papers to explain an advantage of the Constitution over the Articles of Confederation. On that basis, Madison asserted that the operations of the government described by the Constitution, quote, in its ordinary and most essential proceedings, may, on the whole, designate it in this relation a national government, end quote. However, Madison distinguished between the operation of the powers of the government and the extent of its powers. This distinction reflected the view that some objects were specifically designated as properly under the purview of the central government rather than the states, but, the, but that other objects were not. Quote, In this relation, then, the proposed government cannot be deemed a national one, since its jurisdiction extends to certain enumerated objects only leaves to the several states a residuary and inviolable sovereignty over all other objects." End quote. Madison's conclusion of this line of argument was to argue that the Constitution would bring into being a government that was made of national and federal elements. Now, one might think about whether the way Madison divided up the elements of his case was the only way to do so, or whether they should be thought of as being equally important. But for now, it is perhaps enough to point out that he wanted to answer the arguments of those worried about a complete consolidation of power in the central government, and that this argument seems to have been tailored to that purpose. Thank you for listening to the Rights and Liberties podcast. For more about the Sunwater Institute, please visit us at sunwater.org.